Good morning. It's good to see you here as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and opportunity to follow along. Let me um, welcome you as you come in and tell you there will be one big change in your bulletin this morning. To not confuse you, but uh, we're going to move the confession of sin to the very front this morning. So please know in your bulletin, put your finger there, open that up, and we'll have that ready to go. But we're going to swap that up to the front and begin our service with some prayer together in a moment. But let me begin this morning, if I can, by welcoming you, and we're glad that you're here. And if you're, and so we want you to, to be able to follow along and be a part as well. We do have several announcements. As always, I want to tell you, we need your help in this Bible study hour. Today we are back for Bible study, um, but we also have a lot of people in and out and finishing the year and gone. And so uh, please be willing to be a helper if we need you, especially with our kids' classes. We don't need teachers as much right now, but we do need people to step in and sit in the room, and I'll tell you why. When you're in the younger age classes, Every child seems to have to go to the bathroom at least one time. And you could imagine what this building would look like if they all were set free to leave the room by themselves to go. So we do need helpers, even if it's just it, please, being a helper so that they can help with the class, help go, help do things. So please help our teachers if you're willing this morning. I know we'll have a few. Our youth step up sometimes and help. Uh, but throughout the whole summer, we're going to need help, uh, whether it's in the preschool class, the children's class, a youth class. All of our parents that are teaching and leaders need to have vacation time as well. So please let me know if you're coming to us at all. Also, there are some announcements I do want to share with you. Let me remind you that this coming Saturday, the 13th, is our men's breakfast. Men, we want to encourage you to be here. Uh, we've had different speakers, even within the church, all of the elders and the different men who have come and spoken at times. This week, it will be Ted Schwastik, an elder of ours, who will be sharing uh, his testimony with us. And so we encourage you to come and be a part of that breakfast. Information is kind of late notice, but this coming Saturday... After the men's breakfast is our church work day, and we need your help. And so please, I know the deacons want to coordinate a work day, and whether that means helping vacuuming, doing windows, cleaning all, fixing lights, to changing things, they'll have all kinds of stuff that we probably need help with inside and out. And if you're able, please come uh, after the breakfast if you're not sure when that is. Uh, Scott, we're usually done. Is it by 9, about 9 o'clock? So if you want to plan on being here at 9, if there's anything left over, you can eat it. And, and if not, we'll put you to work, and we'll have it there. So uh, that's this thing. Also, we want to share, uh, for those of you, who, many of you have asked, and we are on top, thanks to Angela, our, our here at business manager now that's helping us. Uh, many of you have asked about making, and if you're not here, it doesn't matter, but those of you who need to make minimum distributions, you know, stock transfers, you want to make donations that are direct gifts, we now have that available in our church this past week. All that was set up, and so we have an account with our own Raymond James situation. But if you are interested in doing that and you're waiting in the past for minimum distributions or you would like to do a straight transfer because those are things you've done in the past, please see Angela. And if you don't know Angela, Angela, raise your hand. Put you on the spot. That's Angela. Um, she can give you the actual details that you need to make direct distributions and you will receive all the tax deductions and things that you need. So we appreciate your patience 
uh, what we fire. One is right after Sunday school today, the choir is practicing. Uh, Sarah told me to tell you if you're interested in singing or choir, we need you. If you want to come and be a part right after Sunday school uh, up here in the sanctuary. And then men, I have a special announcement for you. Uh, you've heard this. Please listen. Grace Men's Choral Society is meeting this Wednesday at 1800 hour in the narthex. If you don't know when that is, it's 6 p.m. Danny Sutherland is going to be opening up. That's not the act. That's the doors. Okay, he's not doing with... And rehearsal won't take more than 45 minutes or so. The group will meet several more times. We're going to shoot to sing sometime in July. Um, years of choral experience are not required. Beautiful. It does say very highly desired. So that we can make beautiful music to the Lord. Just kidding. Men, if you're interested, come. Be a part. It'll be an opportunity for us to just have a wonderful time together and make some joyful noise to the Lord. So this Wednesday at 6 p.m., 1800, for, the, for those of you who know how to sing. Your bulletin. Other than that, uh, we will take a moment and pray in just uh, some short time. But take your bulletin. Join with me before I call us to worship. I would like to open this morning in a congregational prayer together. We've been studying salvation, and today we're finishing up with glorification, what it means to be in the presence of perfection, our goal for everyone here, in our sins together before the Lord. Pray with me from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, we lift up our soul. O our God, in you we trust. Let us not be put to shame. Make us to know your ways, O Lord, for you are the God of our salvation. Remember not the sins of our youth, nor our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Pardon our guilt, for it is great. Consider our affliction and our trouble and forgive all our sins. O oh, guard our souls in you. Redeem us, O oh God, out of all our troubles. Amen. And I assure you with the same pardon and grace and promises that come from Scripture and Revelation, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So join me if you're able. Stand as I call us to worship as we prepare to worship the Lamb together. Let me read it from Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Join us as we sing together in the hymn book, hymn number 310, Rejoice, the Lord is the King.
seated as we take just a moment to spend some time in prayer together. And I want to remind you that here in the bulletin, you will see several of our prayer requests. And if you fill out a blue uh, card that's there in the pew, uh, we will take that prayer request if you tell us and we'll list it. But if you don't tell us, we'll just continue to pray for that uh, as well on our own. Uh, We do want to remind you as you go through these prayers, we keep them in there for a short period of time, several weeks, and then we take them out as we rotate in. So please, if one comes out, uh, we're not trying to say it's not important. We're just rotating them in to make sure they stay fresh, up to date, and on our minds. So please update those if you need them to stay in there. This morning, before I pray for some of these, again, I want to take just one moment. We many times get moved beyond, and this past week, I've personally been praying so much for the war. And uh, I know sometimes things slip right on by after a while, but it's hard to imagine that over a year uh, things have gone on, and we still have missionaries on the field. We still have children that are uh, misplaced and taken and being educated in certain ways, and we have families now without dads and brothers and grandparents and on both sides. Um, Folks, as it, it always goes to say, there's no way to win a war. Uh, we, all, we all suffer through that, and so please just... In your own personal time, pray, uh, not only for them, but our own soldiers, our own country, who also get dragged in in many ways and may be called upon in many ways. And it will affect our families at some point. Uh, And so whether it's the loss of one life or a hundred lives, it only takes one uh, to make a big difference in a child's life. So let's just remember, especially those families uh, that are losing their loved ones, we also want to remember uh, the family this past week, as you know, uh, if you were 
haven't been updated. Uh, there'll be more coming out later, but the family in Annapolis uh, who was shot and both husband and wife and the two kids that have been left, they are attached to our church in some ways here. And so we want you to remember the, the three-year-old and the five-year-old who are, who are now with grandparents. But let's just remember that family and for many of you who may be touched and a part of helping them uh, through that process as well. So uh, let's remember them this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us to the throne of grace. And if you would, just please pray with me the Lord's Prayer. It's there inside the red hymn book if you need it. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to worship you, Father, we forget not uh, the right we have to come to the throne of grace. We are reminded that we no longer have to face it on our own. We no longer have to guess at what's happening. Lord, we can trust. We can personally trust that all things happen according to your purpose and plan. And yet, Lord, the things we don't understand, uh, we can walk by faith and not by sight that we can trust that it's here in the throne room on earth, the place that you've established in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that we can be brought close to you, that we can begin to pray personally for the many families that we are lifting up, uh, Lord, that they need for healing and for their surgeries, uh, Lord, for the direction of where you would have them to serve uh, you, uh, whether it's in missions or here in the United States. Lord, we pray for strength to be able to minister to our spouses, our children, and our parents. Uh, Lord, that you give us the strength to realize that's part of what separates us from the world, is that the caring is not a burden. Uh, it's a, a process of love. Uh, it's a process of a body that realizes when one part hurts, we all hurt, and that we can be used, and we're gifted to care. Lord, I do pray especially this morning uh, for the war, for the conflicts, uh, Lord, in our minds, the tragedies that will just be irreplaceable. Lord, I pray for peace that somehow your Holy Spirit would move, that we would begin to see uh, the outcome of a mighty purpose that's only revealed through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for these two young girls, and Lord, just for the grandparents that will be a part of raising them and the extended family that they will need uh, to have around them. Lord, we realize that sin affects to the fourth generations. And yet, Lord, this is the outcome of a world that's corrupt. Help us not to focus on it. Help us to keep our focus and our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ who's invited us to be in his presence and to come to him boldly and to pray as he taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We take a moment and confess our faith before we have some time for our offering this morning. I invite you, as I read the question, we've been working through the larger catechism and uh, the instructions that come from that. If you've never uh, been a part of the catechism and you've never seen that, please come and see me. I'll be glad to help you get a copy, but it's wonderful teaching 
that the church has used for centuries to help understand the truths as we go forward. And so I'll read the light print, the question, if you'll join me in sharing together in the bold print. What is the moral law? The moral law is the declaration of God's will for humanity, directing and binding every human being to conform to and obey it personally, completely, and perpetually. The moral law applies to the whole human body and soul and includes the performance of all those obligations to God and our fellow humans to be holy and righteous. God promised life for keeping it and threatened death for disobeying it. Does the moral law apply to human beings after the fall? Although after the fall, no one can achieve righteousness in life by means of the moral law, it still applies to all humans generally, whether saved or unsaved. And how does the moral law apply to all human beings? The moral law reveals the holy nature and will of God to all humans and obliges them to live by it. It also reveals to them the sinful pollution of their nature, hearts, and lives, which shows them they are unable to keep it. The moral law also humbles human beings with the recognition of their sinfulness and misery and thereby gives them a better awareness of their need for Christ and for the perfection of his obedience. It's wonderful as you learn there's I'm going to invite our ushers if they'll please come forward as we prepare to take up our offering this morning. And uh, as they come, I've asked Bruce if he would please come. Bruce is one of our elders, and I've spoken with several of them about helping lead us at different points. He's going to come and lead us in our offertory prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you instruct us in your word that we should bring the whole tithe, the full tithe, into the storehouse. And then you go on to say that we should test you in this, that if we do, we should watch and see that you will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough for it and there will be no more need. Father, what a promise. And this morning we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit as we worship you with our tithes and offerings. Bless them and bless us in the building of your kingdom. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.
I hope you brought your Bibles as we've been following along through the plans of salvation. I want to take you on a, a biblical journey this morning as we end. I appreciate your patience as we were studying many weeks of the doctrines of salvation. And one of the most, I guess, expected part of the doctrine or one of the most anticipated part of the doctrine of salvation is the doctrine that we very seldom hear about, which is the doctrine of glorification. It is that time and that experience that none of us have had yet. And I say that gently, but when we speak of salvation, we can share our testimony of being justified. We can share our testimony of what it meant to be without Christ. And we can even share the sanctification uh, aspect and talk about what it means to be adopted and to be a part of the family of God and share our hope and our faith. And we've expressed our repentance. Everything of salvation we share. But when it comes to glorification, we are not yet in the presence of perfection. Now, I know some of you are close. <laughs> I'm closer. I, I like to think that anyway, and I'm not just speaking about age, okay? Glorification is not a lengthy doctrine, but it's one of the most controversial because you can preach about the future that's never happened because who can tell you you're wrong? We find out a lot when it comes to listening to our evangelists over the years because it's amazing how many will speak on the days of creation and the days of revelation because we know nobody can go back and tell us how we were wrong and nobody's yet been there and come back to tell us how we've missed it. So it's given us a wide gamut and range to be able to say what we think is going to happen and get people to follow. This morning, I want to take you on a journey of scriptures. I'll give you many of them as we go. You can write them down because I want you to see that I'm preaching to you about something that I have yet experienced. I say that humbly because there was a part of me growing up in which I was told probably like most of you, the goal of life is what? Perfection. Perfection. I don't know about you, but as an athlete my whole life growing up, just shy of perfection was as much of a loser as the one who was at the bottom. Second place, you still didn't get the largest trophy whether you were last place. I heard a person this past week we were sharing, I hope I phrase it right, we were coming in playing games, youth group, teasing and laughing and joking, and I asked them how they were doing. I said, did you win? And, they, and one said, yes, we won. And I looked at the other, I said, did you win? And they said, we won at losing. <laughs> I like that attitude. You can always be a winner. You know, I like that part. But glorification, I speak to you this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, a very familiar passage. Again, I could speak from many, many on glorification. But future glory, this hope of everything that Christians long for. I hope and pray your recognition is not based on what is left behind. The world will tell you to leave a legacy. But folks, you may lose everything about eternity just trying to leave a legacy. You must realize that the entire doctrine of salvation points us to where we will be one day. It points us to the ultimate conclusion of what we should be longing for and wanting to be a part of. 
So many of us have met those who have joined the church just because it helped them in their endeavors. They've become leaders in the local church because it's helped them in their position. Some have even striven to be involved and to donate and to give just so that their reputation will be upheld as one who is a giver in thinking of others. That is not our goal. Our goal from the outset is to be in the glory of Jesus Christ. I'll give you two words. You can write them down. Go look them up later. One is the Hebrew word kabod. If you don't know what that is, it's a word that actually means of heavy weight, splendor, and beauty. It is translated over to the Septuagint in Greek as the word doxa, which is glory, which is where we get what it means to be glorified, to be one who is filled with beauty and splendor as the one who created us. For us to be glorified is to become like the one who created us. We will never be Jesus Christ. You will never be God. Let me make that clear. I am not preaching to you this morning, as some religions would, saying that you can be elevated to a godhood status. The Mormon church has grown faster than many others for decades because it celebrates the idea that Jesus is really an exalted man to godhood. And that one day we can all eventually marry, and the person that we marry on earth in the temple will be the person we're married to as we run our worlds, as we are given the highest of heavens to rule over and reign over. Oh, I could tell you that that's exciting to be a part of, because who doesn't want to be a king? Who doesn't want to be the majestic queen? Who doesn't want to reign over everybody else? But when it comes to finding out that we will never be God, we will always be servants. But one of the things I hope to teach you this morning is what makes servanthood so special is when you're able to do it to the perfection of the one you serve and to hear the words, well done, my faithful servant. When I see Jesus face to face, I've told you I will ask that question, just how did you do it? The Trinity has always stumped me. I'll be honest, I, I believe it wholeheartedly. I see it expressed in the ways throughout scriptures and I've experienced it in my life. But to explain it, I wanna see it firsthand. But when I get there, I also know some of the first words I would like to hear. I would like to hear that I was first, that I ran the race in such a way as to win, and I won. I would love to hear Jesus say, Jerry, man, you were the fastest, best runner of them all. But I think more importantly, I would love to see his expression when he looks at me and says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You fought the good fight. And you know what? You finished the race. That's glorification. This morning, I want to speak to you and encourage you that one day as we're all living on this side of heaven, we're trying and striving for what it is to be right with God and to know that heaven will be ours one day, that it will be opened up, and we'll be able to experience 
the true presence of the Lord, but on this side of what is known as the parousia, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we strive with failures, imperfections, and we fall down all the time. We will not be the servant we're supposed to be until we're in the presence of perfection. So this morning, Hebrews has reminded us many times of what it takes to be in his presence, but the writer of Ephesians, Paul, also gives us a wonderful expression about how important it is for us to understand that we will be raised one day bodily again with Christ. To be spiritually raised with him today, to have a resurrection experience and to be born again as we have learned through the doctrines of salvation that comes through repentance and trust, is to be able to experience the heavenly already, the tension of what is known as the already not yet kingdom. Folks, we have the kingdom in our hearts. We have the kingdom on this world. You are the child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You will inherit beyond what you could ever imagine. And yet sometimes we live as though we are worth nothing. Paul reminded us we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in you. Yes, this life, this side of the parousia, this side of the second coming is worth living for the Lord. This is what Ephesians says. Let me take you on a journey of what it means to hopefully be in the presence of perfection. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, I'll bring it down to the middle of the chapter and pick up when he begins to teach us about his plan. It begins in verse 10, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and the things on earth. He says this, in him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The doctrine of glorification is not about just what we become. It's about understanding about being in his presence, understanding the full realization of what God has always intended for us. True believers are in that same process we've talked about. We have been saved. We are being saved. And one day we will be what? Saved. We've heard it many a times. That's the whole doctrine of salvation. It is a process that has a beginning, is a continually working it out, and one day will be completed. You will not struggle forever to be what God wants you to be. There is a goal. It will be obtained. It's not an endless cycle of samsara in the Eastern philosophies and religions of trying to reach into the oneness of what would be nirvana or to try to reach enlightenment and the cycles that just keep on merging with oneness over and over. That is not true. God has revealed to us that not only was there a time in which things began, but there is a time in which we will reach our goal and we will spend eternity 
just as he wants us to be. This morning I pray in your heart that you have prayed at some point in your life, Father, please make me what you want me to be. Sometimes we get close. Father, help me be. Help me be what I think you want me to be. It goes a little bit farther when you realize, Lord, I need you to do the work. Just make me what you want me to be. Make me a servant. So all of a sudden we realize, as Paul's writing about this, Peter also says the same thing, that we have a chief shepherd that will appear one day, and it is there in 1 Peter 5 that we will receive the crown of glory. We will receive that which we have worked for. Though on this side we will spiritually struggle, this old self that we have to work through and all of the habits that continue to resurface, the sinful nature that always seems to creep back up in our lives will one day be overcome and the new self rises up to win forever. I think that would be like Rocky Seven. At some point, you eventually have to realize it's over. The battle has been won. And we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know how strong or bad of a struggle you're working with. I don't know how long the journey you're proposing that you're on is going to take. Man, you can measure out the steps, you can count the progress, you can look ahead to the time, but I will tell you this, do not forget to preface it, if the Lord wills. I have said to a many a people, you can plan for the future, but you cannot plan the future. The difference between where you are in your relationship with the Father. This morning, I challenge you, let's go on a journey together of experiencing these riches of an inheritance that he says is now waiting for us, the promised crown of life that we get through James and Revelation. Let's look at what it is that allows us to pursue, go forth, and even continue making progress. I'll give it to you in phases. We need to realize that as we begin the first step of the phase that we're going to go through in glorification, write these down if you need them, is that we need to proceed to paradise. Write these down. That's the first phase of glorification. This world is not, this world is the last phase, if you wish, of what part of salvation? Sanctification. We are being sanctified, set apart declared one for God to serve, but now glorification, the full inheritance that God has promised us doesn't happen when Christ comes back. It happens when we enter paradise. Yeah, that's right. Let me give you some scriptures so that you can write them down. It's amazing that, first of all, we've got to overcome this sin-infected, if you wish, nature. We've got to be able to shake it off and put it aside, and the only way to do that is to die. Doesn't that sound bleak? You see, that's what a lot of people would think in this world, and it happens all the time. If the only way I can overcome my struggles and life is not worth living, I'll just end it. That's not what we're talking about. Paul even said, if I were to live as Christ and to die would be what? Gain. 
to understand that what we're talking about for Christians is that the life beyond this body in this place right now, the way it is as a physical body with flesh and blood, must come to an end in order for us to be a part of what God has always planned for us. It begins in this understanding of paradise, that when you're guided together, remember when Lazarus was there in the story of Jesus with the rich man, do you remember one of the wonderful things I love about the story is not that there was a man in hell and a man in heaven, one at the bosom of Abraham and one suffering. It wasn't that I wanted God's judgment to be portrayed and that the world would see the truth. Do you know what my favorite part of the story with Lazarus and the rich man was? was Lazarus, the poor man, was taken up to the bosom of Abraham. And if you read Luke, do you remember how it happened? He was escorted there by the angels. I can't wait. I think I'm going to act extra heavy and just lay down and make him work so that I can have that extra time and just think, man, this is what it's about this is glorification. These are the angels that God has sent for me to escort me to the place he wants me to be. He's bringing me to himself for the beginning of the rest of eternity. Oh, that's where it all begins, this conscience, understanding, and fellowship. This inheritance that Paul writes about in accordance with the plan of his will begins in paradise. It begins that when this body stops, the next starts. There's no soul sleep. There's no waiting for a reincarnation. We know that the very next step in this life and when this body ends is to begin into the presence of the Lord. We learn that very graciously. Psalm 17 reminds us of the same thing, that one day we will see him face to face. Paul actually quotes it, writes it in Corinthians, when one day we will see him. Now we walk by faith, but one day we see him what? Face to face. One day, the image of the only God in human form, face to face. It'd be like a mirror. Because the Bible tells me, if you understand that, that one day I will be so close to looking like my Savior that when my spirit appears before his, I'm praying it will look just like it was when it was set before in the Garden of Eden, before sin took control. To know that I have been glorified, set aside. Luke writes it in his account of the Gospels in chapter 23 of Luke when he's there beside the thief on the cross. Do you remember how he words it? And people have tried to explain it out. They don't want to accept its simple explanation that when he says, why don't you just bring us down? Why don't you just save yourself and save us all? Why don't you, if you're this king of kings, bring it all to an end? And Jesus in turn looks at him and he says to the other one who's repented, do you remember what he says? This day you'll be with me where? In paradise. Let's not argue about the, the length. Let's not argue about the details, but let's just settle this one thing. Paradise is real. It's where Jesus is, and it's where he promises we will be. So there is this hope that goes on, that this overcoming, if you wish, all the struggles here begins at that point in time where we are now waiting for a bodily resurrection in the presence of the Lord, not alone. 
I even like the story of Stephen, Acts chapter 7. If you haven't read it, he's being stoned to death. Remember, he looks to heaven, and there one is standing for him. Do you remember that? Ready to plead his case. He is not sitting but standing. But these are the words that I want you to remember this morning when Stephen writes these, receive my spirit into your hands. This day, as I am being stoned to death, as the trials that I have always faced, as the persecution that I've always been through, today is the day the trials end. They think they have won. My body comes to an end. But Father, as I look into your presence, receive my spirit. Today I will be with you. Is that you this morning? Are you going to be with Jesus? We've spent weeks on the doctrines of salvation, and I'm not here to question what you're saying, but I am here in just a moment to put you on the spot because there is a part of this you must understand. That eternity is wonderful and it's a blessing and glorification is real and it's everything we've ever dreamed about if you're a child of God, if you belong to him, if you've truly been saved. If not, we could go back to Lazarus who looks down to the other on the other side and sees the torment that he screams and wishes he could go back and change. But that's not part of glorification. I won't take you there. I'll take you from the time of, if you wish, in the presence of the Lord of paradise. Let's go to number two. The second phase of it is, is that we now have to be in the prepared place for us. When we finally leave this body, we remember that Jesus said not only is there a place of paradise, there is the place that he has prepared for us. It's specifically designed for his children. It's not just for those disembodied spirits to just go out and roam the world and to be a part of whatever else is out in the galaxies and to be free. It's a designed place that he's preparing for us where one day our bodies will come back together, reunited with our spirits. It'll be the time in which we understand resurrection, not reincarnation. The Bible's full of them. Philippians chapter 3 reminds us very clearly that there will be a, a resurrection. There will be a bodily unification Part of being glorified is not just saying I made it to paradise as a spirit, but that we're going to be reunited with the body God's given us, the special body, the spirit body, one that we recognize and we understand. You could go into a, a deep theology of what the people will look like and all that will take place. I'm here to just remind you that Jesus has prepared that place. John 14, 3, circle it, put it in your Bibles. Mark it down. It simply says that if... Jesus simply said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And the good part is this, that if I've gone to prepare a place, then I'll what? I'll come again to receive you. Thessalonians makes it clear that the dead in Christ will rise. We'll meet together with those that have been left alive. Folks, there's not one race, one or the other. It's being put together. It's from paradise to the place that God has provided, the redemption of our bodies. That's Romans 8, 23. Creation longs to be redeemed is what Paul writes to the Romans. But it's not only creation that longs to be redeemed. We, too, long to be redeemed and to have the resurrection of our bodies redeemed. 
I don't want to get into all the details. Times are changing fast on me. And every day, I get a chance to look at people who've decided that their body is probably not as important as I think it is. And some of the things that people do to their bodies today, oh, I'm not worried about how Jesus can resurrect it. And I'm not worried about it keeping them from him. But I just wonder why they would treat the temple in such a way. When your body does matter, you were created with this body, with this body being one that would be resurrected, with the body that would be a part of the new heaven and the new earths. That's why it's so important when it comes to immorality, we don't just hear the writings that we shouldn't be committing sins with our spirits. We're told very specifically that the immorality that we commit may come from the heart, but it happens with our bodies. And that's why your body is important. Young people, I only can remind you that the purity of your body is of utmost importance. And anybody that wants to disgrace that and use that in ways that are not glorifying to God, you need to think harshly and sincerely because what you do to your body is what you're doing to what God has given you and to what one day he will bring to the place he's prepared for you. It's not just spiritual. So it's not just about paradise. It is about going to that place, the one of immortality. Turn real quick, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. You can follow along with me. Just flip back a few pages, and you will see what he writes when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He simply says this. Now, I say this in verse 50, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 52 says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Isn't that amazing? The imperishable must put, or the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and following. Yes, it's about paradise. It's about the place God's prepared for you. But glorification goes even beyond that. It comes to this imperishable prize. We're putting on the imperishable. We're putting on that which lasts forever. We will go before the Bema seat is what it is called, the judgment seat. It is when Christ comes back and all of us will be examined. Romans 14, 10 makes it clear that he will examine our works. He will look at our hearts. He will judge us according to those intentions, and the reward will be for faithful service. There will be no one in paradise who gets judged. There will be no one in paradise who doesn't receive the reward. There will be no one in paradise that stalls out at the Bama seat. Because paradise is for those who belong to the Lord. Paradise was for those of us who died in the Lord and our spirits raised to be with them waiting for our bodies to go to that place that God has prepared for us. And it is there when we're reunited that we go before the judgment seat not to be condemned. I remind you, Romans 8 says it this way, therefore there is now no what? 
condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, do not look at the judgment seat. If you've made it to paradise, you've made it all the way. It's just a matter of time, but you must make it to paradise. Scripture never gives us another opportunity. It never gives us a second chance. The imperishable that we're going to be judged with and rewarded for is because we remain faithful in this life, in this body, which God created us with. How you live in this body does matter. And what you do in this body matters. It matters for all eternity. Glorification, to be what God wants us to be in His timing, in His way, in His place. Paul wrote Timothy as the young pastor when he spoke to him about the importance, the same he spoke to me. 24 years old, growing large congregation, never been married, asked to pastor several hundreds of people, and I used to ask myself, how will I ever counsel all these people? How can a 24-year-old take hundreds and hundreds of people and be their chief shepherd? Well, the same way Timothy would, to rely upon those godly men in the church, to rely upon those elders and those that God sent before him. Paul writes it when he says in 2 Timothy 4, the same thing I shared with you. Paul says what I'm going to say. I fought the good fight. And I like how he says this. The New American Standard puts it this way. I finished my course. It wasn't just a race. It wasn't just a sprint. It wasn't without any obstacles, and it wasn't with the detours, and it wasn't without shouting and people and hurling things at you. It was a course. It was a lifelong course of ups and downs and ins and outs and unders and overs and people shouting things you didn't want to hear and people trying to encourage you and your attention being spread out and everything in the way, and you finished it. I don't know if I say it right, but I remember the first time my son was on the track team there in Evansville, Indiana, and I was waiting for him to run one of his sprints. And I started watching these people running around the track, and I thought, wow, it's kind of weird. You'll know what it's called probably in a minute, but they would jump some hurdles, and then they would like run through certain mazes, and then they would go over a high jump and jump in a pit of water, and then keep moving. Do you know what it was called? The steeplechase. And I thought to myself, what kind of course is that? And one of the guys next to me was watching. He says, it's a course of endurance. Oh, I was humbled. Anybody can sprint. Anybody can run for a few moments. But to go over all the obstacles and know that the obstacles are coming and to know that you're going to have to jump in a pit of water and run with wet shoes, go over hurdles, go through the zigzag and keep up. Paul says, I fought the good fight and I finished my course. Let me ask you quickly, where are you on your course? Some of you may just about to be wet some of you the hurdle looks too high and the dash looks too long and Paul says you can finish your course 
and receive the imperishable prize. Why? It's not just about paradise. It's not about that place that he's prepared, and it's not just about an imperishable prize. It's about being in the presence of perfection. That's what happens when we realize Revelation 21 and 22. There is a new heaven and a new earth, a place where the new body, along with the spirit that has been perfected in the place of paradise, who's passed through the judgment seat and the rewards, where the Father now invites us to the holy city where there are no more sorrows, no more shame. Sin has been abolished. Death has been overcome. Mourning, crying, pain is all no more. And we are planted, if you wish, along beside the tree of life. And the same tree that so many say may not exist in the beginning of Genesis, in which sin so tempted us, in which we lost the right to eat from, will be right there in our grass to enjoy forever. Do you remember God's words where they must be cast out lest they eat of the tree of life. And yet one day in glorification, we reach to the fruit of the tree of life. Exactly what God planned from the beginning. It is there that we realize in Revelation, you can turn there with me if you want, the last chapters. I'll bring you to a close of this river and the tree of life where we realize in the midst of the middle of the street on verse 2 on the other side of the river was the tree of life bearing the 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations and there were no longer any curse the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. To know that we are serving the king without any hindrance at all. To know that we are completely acceptable in the presence of perfection, nothing to worry about, but to serve our King forever. Oh, not only is Jerry's name going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but his name is going to be written on my forehead, for I will be his child, and he will be my God. Verse 5 says it this way. Not only will I serve him, there will no longer be any night, nor will there be a need of a light or a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord, the God, will illuminate them. I think that's the same way he did it back in creation when people ask, how could there be light without a sun? Isn't that amazing? We're going to get to figure that one out as well. And then he says this. 
they will reign forever and ever. I will. I will reach my goal. I will be the servant of servants, my name in the Lamb's book of life, and his name written on me in the presence of perfection. I, do you see that? Say that. Jerry will be in the presence of perfection. You in the presence of perfection. But let me close. Only if, the last point, you don't miss out when the door is permanently shut. Matthew makes it very clear, the parable of the ten virgins. Noah made it clear. Sodom and Gomorrah made it clear. We have learned throughout there are no second chances when the door is shut. When it's closed, it's permanently closed. Miss paradise, you will never have the opportunity to come again. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to you to tell you and to remind you. Second Timothy says, the Lord knows who are his. And Paul writes in his great wonderful conclusion, we may not know today, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no heart has been able to understand what the Lord has promised to those of us who belong to him. I pray you're ready for paradise. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to commune, let it be that Lord's Supper, that marriage supper of the Lamb, that not only do we fellowship now, but we prepare our hearts to experience forever in the presence of perfection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If I could have the officers who are going to help come down here with me, if you're here visiting with us this morning, we're going to take a moment and share in the Lord's Supper. It is here that we begin to partake. We will pass out elements together. Let me remind you that if you are not a Christian, if you have not made a profession of faith, if you are not involved in a church, you've not been baptized and sealed, uh, as the promise so says, not the baptism itself, but that process of your heart, then I ask you not to take of it. Children, if you've not made a profession of faith, if you've not come to the session yet, I ask that you let the plate pass until you're ready to come and to express your faith in Jesus Christ. I remind you, Paul writes to the Corinthians, those who take of the Lord's Supper eat, and as they eat, they profess the Lord until he comes again. If that is you this morning, then I would encourage you, regardless of what the sin, regardless of the failure, to take a moment, ask the Lord to forgive you, to cleanse you, and to strengthen you, and to commune in the presence of his body so that you can be strengthened. I'm going to ask them to take a moment. There is some packages that are wrapped together uh, separately if you need to have something other than the bread, but if you guys would please pass this out. Then while we're passing this out, we're going to sing together. You'll see 
Here is love in your bulletin. While they're passing that out, let me begin by simply reminding you again, it's not the sin that keeps you, it's the life of sin that keeps you. Please pray while we sing, while we prepare our hearts, pray for those around you, but let's sing together as we prepare. question for you. Just listen while we're passing it out. The confession that people made when they came to the church, just listen. Let me ask you to remind you of what it is you said was true. Do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope save in His sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Do you promise to support his church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? We commune together around one common faith. Jesus is Lord. We're his servants. And one day we'll be perfect. Let's pray until they come to share together. From our BCO, I'll just read to you as churches around our community and the nation share together. One of the commonalities that said the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed, took a bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. As I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you, he said, take, eat of this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he took it and broke it, and they ate a seat. In the same way as we passed out the bread, I will ask that you please take one of the cups of juice and hold it until we can all take Together, go ahead. As they're passing out the drink, I want to take a moment to share before we sing together the second stanza. If you're not familiar with the Presbyterian church, you'll see children about. 
We truly believe that our children, once they make a profession of faith, have the right to come and to commune. We do have children who've been baptized. To explain the book of church order for many of you visiting, we don't baptize our children believing that they're saved. We don't believe in a believer's baptism only. We believe that is in the Old Testament, that if you were born into a covenant family, you were circumcised first, and then at some point in time, you made a profession of the God of Abraham, that he was yours. And in the same way, we believe in Colossians that baptism and circumcision coincide together. We now live in the New Testament where baptism is not for males only, but for male and female. And the sign of the covenant is carried together on all of us. In the Old Testament, if you were born in the covenant, you were circumcised first, and then you made a profession. If you were born outside the covenant, you made a profession first, and then you were baptized. So in the New Testament, we follow the same pattern. If you're born into a covenant family, a believing family, your children have the right to take the sign first, and then at some point they must make a profession of faith before they can take. If they're not born in a Christian family, then they must come to make a profession of faith first, and then take that Lord's Supper or be baptized to take the Lord's Supper. So that unity of the two of them in our church come together, both old and new, recognizing that the most important part is not the baptism. It's not the sign. It's what the sign points to. Have you made a profession of faith? Let's sing together the second stanza before we share the drink. In the same manner, he also took the cup, having given thanks as he had done in his name, he gave it to the disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the marriage supper of the Lamb starts today, that we can commune with you through your Holy Spirit here on earth. Join us together as a body. Help us overcome our differences, work through our different gifts, and become the one as you prayed for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You'll receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all in God's children's head. Amen. Enjoy the Lord's day.